This is episode number 30 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of To Birth and Beyond. It's Jesse Mundell. And Anita Lambert. And today we've been really looking forward to having our guest on our podcast. Both Jess and I planned a home birth with our first baby and I'm planning another home birth for baby two. And so our guest today happens to be my own midwife and has a lot of valuable information to share, including the evidence for home birth. And she's also going to clear up some myths surrounding home birth. So Caitlin Murray is a registered midwife with the College of Midwives of Ontario and has been practicing midwifery since 2014. Caitlin is dedicated to providing her clients with evidence-based care and is committed to ensuring her clients are able to make informed choices throughout. Being a member of Kawartha Community Midwives allows her clients to have the option of birthing at home, at the clinic in the birthing room, or at the Peterborough Regional Health Centre. Caitlin is thrilled to practice midwifery in her hometown and enjoys serving the pregnant clients and families of her community. She earned her Bachelor of Health Sciences in Midwifery from Laurentian University. Before becoming a midwife, Caitlin graduated from Trent University with an honors degree in English literature, as well as her Bachelor of Education. Caitlin has recently become a neonatal resuscitation program instructor and a fetal health surveillance instructor. During her off-call time, you can find Caitlin trying to keep up with her toddler, drinking lots of coffee and spending time with family reading a good book or being outside in nature. So thank you so much, Caitlin, for being on. Thank you for having me. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners, as well as both Jess and I would love to hear um, why you chose to become a midwife? So I was lucky enough to be raised just thinking birth was really normal. My mom had had three straightforward fast deliveries, so I never really grew up fearing birth. I thought it was really cool. I was always that kid that was super interested in babies and pregnant people. If I saw a bump, I wanted to be all over it and talk to the person about it. So I think it was always there. Um, I had one of those silly pregnant lady dolls growing up. So I kind of obvious why I am, (laughs) why I do what I do. Um, but it was actually my aunt who is a nurse who, um, knew, like saw the passion that I had and suggested I become a midwife. And I was like, what's that? That's a really weird word. And when I learned more about it, it just really resonated with me the way that I viewed pregnancy and birth. So that kind of started the journey. That's so cool. I love that (laughs) you were so interested right from the get go. And now you're living out your passion. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It, it took a while to get there. Um, a midwifery degree is pretty tough. Also getting to the program is really tough, but I'm really glad it all came together. Yeah. So talk to us about that. What is the education required to become a registered midwife in Canada specifically? 
Yeah. So in Canada, it's a Bachelor of Health Science degree. So it's a four-year degree. Um, and there's only three schools in Canada that, uh, sorry, in Ontario that have it. So Ryerson, Laurentian, and McMaster. So each um, site takes 30 students a year. So that's why you've only got a one in 90 chance to get in every year. So that's, it's a pretty, uh, pretty rigorous uh, selection process. Very neat. And I know a lot of our listeners are curious of our next question. Um, and I know when we were thinking of having a home birth the first time, this definitely played a role. And so can you share a bit, what is the evidence in regards to the safety around a home birth, specifically in Canada? And we do have a lot of listeners from the U.S. as well as in Europe, Australia and beyond. So with being a midwife in Canada, we know specifically you're going to talk about here. So any of our listeners, if you want to find out more about the evidence in your area, that would also be great because it can be different from country to country. Correct, totally. Caitlin? Yeah, or is absolutely. It, yeah. yeah, totally depends on where you are. I can only speak to Ontario because even between our provinces, it can be quite different. So in Ontario, the research tells us that there's no difference in mortality comparing planned home births with midwives versus planned hospital births with midwives. Um, they're associated with similar rates of neonatal complications. There's no difference in the neonatal inter interventions and adverse health outcomes. Um, so if you're a low-risk woman with a healthy pregnancy, your risks are the same versus home, home versus hospital. So that's really good to know, Caitlin. So who would be considered a best candidate for home birth? Like you mentioned low risk. So what does that actually mean? So quite simply, low risk means a healthy mom carrying a healthy baby. And I know that sounds really simplistic, but that's the truth. So if there's any major health complications with mom, the ones that come to mind would be like, if she has high blood pressure, something like that, that requires... Um, you know, an obstetric consult, potentially a transfer of care to an OB. Um, if we have any concerns about how baby's growing, maybe the amniotic fluid volume, uh, potentially any fetal complications with heart or kidneys or anything like that, that can rule you out of a home birth. I know that Anita mentioned it when she was reading your bio, that you're able to support your clients, your patients, while they're birthing at home, birthing center, hospital, whatever their preference might be or how the birth might play out. And as Anita said, we have lots of listeners from the U.S. and it's a very different situation there with how midwives work, correct? Yes, very different. So are there two different types of midwife in the U.S., one that can support at home birth and one that only supports in hospital? That's my understanding, but I'm so far removed from it. I think there's nurse midwives and and then there's practical midwives I'm probably butchering this but yeah I think it's incredibly mm -hmm. different than what we do and mm -hmm. with your clients essentially you just work with them to determine their preferences and then support them in whatever environment they are choosing yeah absolutely it's I say to people um like some people are absolutely comfortable at home some people are absolutely comfortable in the hospital my preference does not play into it. I can give you the risks, the benefits, the alternatives, the community standards. I can make recommendations if things come up from your care, throughout your care or pregnancy or birth, but you need to birth wherever you feel most comfortable. 
So if someone does choose to birth at home, what might be some pain relief options that would be available to them? So obviously when people are choosing home, they are choosing a less, uh, less interventive type of birth. But what we can offer is water therapy. So a lot of people do end up having a birthing pool. Um, we can use a TENS machine. So that's a nerve stimulation, uh, nerve stimulation for pain relief. Um, acupressure, massage, coaching, and then um, some midwives do offer nitrous oxide at home. My clinic does, so we can bring laughing gas to your house. Yeah, I remember that from my first birth, my midwife's talking about um, if we thought may, we may want it, because they only, I think, had two for the whole clinic, so we almost <laughs> had to call dibs on it ahead of time. It wasn't something that I felt like I specifically wanted, um, but nice to know that it was an option. Do you find many clients do request it or use it in the clinic? I think people like to have it on standby. So we have two or three setups. So we tend we tend to be okay. Like we haven't, knock on wood, been wanting it and not being able to have it. I think people just want that extra kind of card in their back pocket if they need it. And so how long would a midwife stay with you at your birth? And how many midwives attend a typical birth at home? So the first assessment or two potentially are going to be over the phone. So we give people... Um, the 511 rule. Page us when your contractions are five minutes apart, they're 60 seconds long, and they've been that way for one to two hours. So once that happens, you're going to call us. We're going to see how you're sounding over the phone, what you're describing. We're going to time your contractions with you. It may not be time for us to come yet, depending on what you sound like. And then once it is to come, once we are, uh, we do feel like we need to assess you at home. We will check your cervix, we'll monitor your vitals, listen to baby. And if you're contracting regularly about at least four or five minutes apart and your cervix is four centimeters dilated, that's considered active labor and we'll stay with you from that point onwards. And so who attends your birth is your primary midwife stays with you throughout the whole time. So she's going to be with you from that first assessment of active labor onwards. And then when the baby's about to be born, that's when we call our second midwife. So they'll be there to do all the baby stuff, um, check baby over, everything like that. And generally, because every practice in Ontario is a teaching practice, there will be at least one student there, obviously with the permission of the birthing parents. Mm -hmm. And how does it work? Um, I know I think different collectives seem a bit different, how they have it structured, but typically how you're saying you'll have two midwives, but then throughout your pregnancy, do you have a team? Um, like, is there usually three or four and you have backups or how does that work typically in Ontario? So typically you're going to meet four midwives. It's, each practice is going to structure it differently depending on their shared care model and the way that they practice. But generally it's a team of four. Um, for myself, they would meet myself and my partner and then their backup team of midwives once or twice. So the idea is, is that there's always a primary midwife on call for you and then your backup team of midwives. If that primary is sleeping from a birth or already involved with another birth, then you have your backup team of midwives that's able to step in. Who knows your case? I had a really interesting situation with my midwives through this second pregnancy, and it was that I was assigned to one midwife. She was not working in a team. Her partner was on maternity leave. And so I don't know what would have happened actually now that I'm thinking about it if we had a birth at home. To be honest, I mean, I can't speak for her. I don't know her situation, but 
our rule is um, you'd get the best rested midwife. Obviously, we have every intention of having a midwife who's known to you. And that's our goal. That's the way that we structure our care. But sometimes when, you know, we have simultaneous births or we've had a bit of a birth storm, then you get the most rested midwife. (laughs) Um, We talked to doulas we were interviewing about this question and it is what they brought with them to a birth. We're interested to know what you bring to a birth with you. So basically we bring the same equipment that you would have at a level one hospital minus the extra staff that may or may not be at the hospital, like a respiratory therapist or nurses, of course. So we bring all the equipment to monitor mom's vitals. We bring a Doppler to listen to the fetal heart tones, medications to manage a postpartum hemorrhage or prevent a postpartum hemorrhage, oxygen for mom and for babe, uh, suction for baby, um, intubation supplies if we're doing a prolonged resuscitation, all of our resuscitation supplies, our birth instruments, of course, um, suturing if that needs to be done, um, pulse oximeter if, if we're concerned about baby, but we're not we're not resuscitating them, but we need to kind of see what their oxygen saturation levels are, IV equipment if needed for mom to mount to uh, administer medication or to um, assist us with a postpartum hemorrhage. Yeah, so quite a lot. Our trunks are always full. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no room for anything else. No, I think that's so good to bring up because I think that's probably one of the biggest myths when I talk to other people or when I have clients ask me and my husband managed to grab a few really good pictures of all the equipment the midwives had set up last time. Um, And so I think that is super helpful if those who are listening are considering a home birth is uh, finding out what gets brought to and actually seeing it, because I know we had a home birth um, information night, so they had all the equipment laid out. And I think that gave a lot of peace of mind to both expecting the expecting mom, but also the partners, too. Absolutely. I think I think people just get a little well, there's a lot of fear, right? Our our culture surrounding birth is very fearful and it promotes that sort of fear based mentality. So people want to know that we're coming prepared and that we know what we're doing and we definitely do. That's why we're able to do what we do. We're the only uh, practitioners in Canada that can offer home births. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love too how you come at around 36, 37 weeks, correct? That you Mm -hmm. come to your home. Because I thought it was great because the midwives were like, you know what, if you can make sure that an outlet is available here, can you make sure this table is cleared off here? Can you have these items ready? Um, So then you're totally prepared when you're on your way. Yeah, some people get weirded out because they think I'm coming to see how clean their house is. <laughs> and it's not that at all. It's just like you said, it's it's like, yeah. okay, where if we're having a birth pool, where are we putting the birth pool? Because I need to be able to access you from all sides. Can I have an extension cord for this outlet? Because I need to plug in three or four things. This dresser needs to be cleared off because it's a great height. If I need to do a resuscitation, yeah, just to kind of get the lay of the land. So this is something that I experienced, which was a transfer to hospital from a home birth, home birth. So with my first baby, we were planning a home birth with midwives and we needed to transfer to hospital after the midwife got to our house. We realized that there was meconium. So that was our personal reason for transferring to hospital. But what mm-hmm. might be some other reasons that you come up against? Yep. So meconium is one of them. Um, 
the most common reasons for transport into hospital is a prolonged labor or maternal request for pain relief. The other ones being meconium and an abnormal fetal heart rate. So we're already always listening to the fetal heart rate every 15 minutes when you're in active labor. So if we ever hear something on auscultation that we can't fix with maternal position change, because sometimes, um, you know, there can be a bit of a cord compression depending on the way the mom is laying. So if it can't be resolved with a simple change in maternal position, then we do recommend moving into hospital because we can't um, interpret what we're hearing in terms of is this just you know, kind of an early D-cell because baby's head is being compressed or is this a late D-cell, which isn't, you know, a very great thing to see. Is this a variable? It, we just can't classify it because we just have it on auscultation with the um, Doppler. So that would be a reason to move into hospital. I always like to tell people that even though we are planning a home birth, we need to transfer to hospital, the whole process of that was actually not scary. I think that a lot of people assume that it's always this really super rushed, terrifying event. And of course, mm -hmm. I'm sure, and I don't want to diminish anyone who has experienced or felt that, but just in our situation, it wasn't, it didn't feel scary. It felt calm and collected on our midwife's advice. We had our hospital back bag packed and ready to go prior to laboring just in case we needed to go so that was helpful we really just I got dressed grabbed the bag got in the car drove to the hospital mm -hmm. yeah mo like nine times out of ten when we're transporting we're taking our own cars it's not it's not emergent um and the other times I mean obviously there are true emergencies and we're taking an ambulance and it's lights and sirens and everything like that but even if we're taking an ambulance, sometimes it's simply because we're at that point where getting into a car might not be the safest way to get there. And I want to be able to ride with them. So sometimes taking an ambulance is simply easier and safer, of course, because then I can be with them and monitor them the whole transport as well. And the good thing is, is we... Um, when we call EMS, we're saying we're a midwife on scene. Like this is what we're, this is what's going on. We call the hospital. We tell them what's going on. We can speak to the OB directly. So a lot of things are happening while we're waiting for the ambulance or while we're getting her into our own cars. Um, you know, we're we're mobilizing a lot of people at the same time as we're trying to get there. Mm -hmm. And I love how you talked about Caitlin in one of our recent appointments and my last midwife did the same thing of um, talking about more like pink flags versus red flags. Because I know with planning our first home birth, there was a lot of concern from family and friends who I guess weren't quite as aware of the evidence or how it all worked. And they were really concerned with safety and the emergency reason for transfer. But hearing from both of you, like, you're not waiting for an emergency to happen. Like you don't want to be caught in that position either. So if something is concerning, a transfer is going to happen sooner um, versus waiting for an emergency to happen. So it's great to hear you kind of clear up the reasons for a transfer and that emergencies can happen. But I think it sounds like they're a lot more rare than I think what people picture. For sure. Yeah. I And I say pink flags because that's what how we used to study and in university but yeah i'm not waiting till something is a five alarm emergency it's just especially because 
generally you are getting these little signs that things aren't going so well or things aren't progressing or something's going on. And yeah, you're going to transport when it's not a lights and sirens emergency as best you can. Obviously, sometimes that's out of our control, but then again, we are trained to handle those emergencies as well, but we're not trying to have them at home (laughs) if at all possible. And what would be some reasons for a transfer then after baby arrives? Like baby arrives, everything birth-wise went well, but mm-hmm. if there are things afterwards, what would those transfers be? So most common for after babies here would be postpartum hemorrhage or a repair of a severe laceration. So midwives in their scope can suture up to a second degree tear and second degrees are the most common. If it's a more involved second-degree tear, um, if it involves the clitoris or anything like that, the urethra, or if it's a third- or fourth-degree tear, we're going to move into hospital. And then the other one would be neonatal health concerns, so like respiratory distress, or if the baby is quite small for the gestational age and we're thinking that it needs to have its blood sugar monitored, that kind of thing. And then the next question I I definitely got this from a lot of people. And now with clients, I'm happy to share about this answer as well is a lot of people are concerned with the mess after a vaginal birth and at home. And I remember my first midwife explain it and everything seemed fine to me. And then after having that home birth, I do not remember any mess at all, like between my midwives and my doula, like everything was cleaned up. Basically, there was a bag of garbage and they were doing laundry at the end and like totally clean bed that we were happily laying on after um so yeah can you share like kind of how you deal with it because I didn't see it so I'm not (laughs) sure how you all dealt with it but yeah totally so we give a sheet to our clients who are planning home birth to tell them what to have prepared and what to do so we tell them to double make the bed so you put your nice sheets on first then you put Um, I usually tell people to either get a picnic tablecloth or shower curtains and then you put your sheets that you don't mind getting messy on top of that. So you double make it so that your nice sheets are on underneath and we can just slip all the dirty stuff off. Like you said, you will only end up with a bag of laundry and a bag of garbage. If you've got carpet in your room, you can either put down more shower curtains if you're making a little path from your bed to the birth pool to the bathroom Um, We also tell you to have peroxide on hand because peroxide will get the stain out of anything. So if something is to hit your carpet, we're going to attack it with peroxide, you know, when everything's calmed down and we can get to it. Um, Yeah. And then everything's tidied up afterwards because most of this stuff is our stuff. So we have to take it home with us anyhow. And then we also provide you with we call them blue pads. I think in the States they call them chucks pads. So they're very absorbent pads. So we're laying them everywhere. So if you have the baby on the bed, you're going to have a ton of blue pads underneath you. Um, Birth pool obviously kind of contains its own mess, which is great. Um, Yeah. So it's, I think the movies really set us up to think that birth is super gory and messy and there's going to be blood everywhere and fluids everywhere, but it's not, it's actually pretty clean when it's all said and done. Your bedroom shouldn't look like it's been totally destroyed after you have a home birth. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. You're giving me all, <laughs> all the flashbacks, actually, from preparing for that first home yeah. birth. Yeah. So what is the role of the midwife after baby is born at home? Specifically, how do you tend to the baby? What are you checking for with baby's health? So biggest things with babe is we are listening to the baby's heart and the baby's lungs. We want to know what the heart rate is and the respirate is. If those are fine, we just check periodically. 
And then when we go to do the head to toe newborn exam, we usually do that, you know, within an hour or so. It's not a very rushed process. We like to have the baby stay with mom as long as they're they're wanting to get that first breastfeed in, if baby's interested, that kind of thing. Babies are also really nice and alert for the first three hours or so. So I don't want to interrupt that by having to do my head to toe exam. Um, just want to have that eye contact with mom and dad not with me (laughs) mom and dad or mom and partner whoever um yeah so it's so we do the head to toe exam the same as they would do at the hospital um we weigh the baby measure the baby um give the baby medications that are routinely given after the birth and then babe is right back to whichever parent or family member whoever wants to hold it I love that. And then follow-up question for that. We actually mm-hmm. just got discharged from our six-week appointment with, with our midwives this past week. But can you tell oh. us? I know. Sad. Can you tell us what that care looks like for the first six weeks postpartum with a midwife? We come see you and the baby wherever you are, at home or in hospital, within the first 24 hours. Then again on day three, again on day five, and somewhere between day seven and ten. And those are just guidelines, depending on how things are going we can see you more frequently um if you guys are out and about and everything's going well then you can come to see us in the clinic but generally the postpartum home visits are so you're at home you're resting you don't need to be packing up a baby and toting the car seat around and everything like that and then you come to see us in the clinic at two weeks four weeks and then for your six-week discharge visit oh you do a four-week visit too yeah and each each clinic is different so kind of whatever uh, whatever each practice has decided on. <laughs> I think a lot of people are always surprised um, about the home visits after. And this applies whether you have home or hospital birth with a mm-hmm. midwife, correct? Or, yeah. or birth center. Um, a lot of people are like, I had no idea if I had a midwife, they would come to me. And I loved it. The fact we didn't have to go out of our place the first week was, yeah, totally appreciated that. And I thought it was great because then, the midwives could also see us in our own environment. So if we had questions about nursing in certain chairs or whatnot, or questions, anything around the house, um, they could address it because they were seeing it firsthand. Yeah. I think especially for first time, first time parents, you focus so much on the birth, but it's the aftercare that I think is where we really stand out because things are crazy with a newborn. Everything's challenging, absolutely everything. So it's nice to be able to take that one extra piece out of the puzzle and have your care providers coming to you. I remember sitting at home being like, okay, I got to get through today, but my midwife's coming tomorrow, so it'll be okay. I'm sure we can do 24 hours on our own. (laughs) Yeah, I had those same thoughts, exactly. (laughs) Just knowing that can ask these questions tomorrow it's gonna be okay just make it through yeah and somebody's weighing this baby so we can make sure that they're gaining and that this breastfeeding thing is actually happening (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so what would you say what are some questions an expecting mom should ask themselves if they're considering a home birth I would say what are you wanting from the birth I mean everybody obviously wants a healthy mom and a healthy babe but are you wanting little to no interventions are you really feeling passionate and prepared for a spontaneous vaginal delivery do you want control over who's in your in your birthing space do you want to be 
surrounded by your own things in your own home? Or does the hospital make you feel more comfortable and more confident in where you're going to give birth? It's just a really personal choice. A lot of times I have people ask me what I prefer. And quite honestly, I want you to be where you want to be. It, I, it's, I birthed the way that I chose to birth, but it really doesn't impact me. I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I want you to be comfortable. So as I was saying, we were at our six week appointment at our midwives clinic this past week. And I was nursing Theo as we were about to leave and someone called into the clinic. They were talking to the receptionist and they were from out of country. I believe they were asking about the costs associated with a midwife. They wanted midwifery care, but they didn't have Canadian health care. And so I heard the receptionist say that it would be $4,500 Canadian for that midwifery care throughout pregnancy and the postpartum care. And it was something that I've never thought about before, about what those costs actually would add up to be. So does provincial health care in every Canadian province cover home birth in Canada? So I can only speak to Ontario. So in Ontario, midwifery care is covered by the Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care. So even if you do not have OHIP, so new immigrants, um, Mennonites, Amish, everything like that, they can still access midwifery care and not pay for it. What you will pay for is any lab tests that you have to do, blood work, ultrasounds, hospital stay if you wind up at a hospital, any sort of interventions or things that happen at the hospital. That's what you would pay for, but you're not paying for your midwifery care. No, that's really good to know. Because um, I I remember with, uh, with the first birth, how I told Andy, like I told my husband that, yep, so we've got a midwife, we're ready to go. And he's like, Okay, this sounds good. How much is it going to cost? And <laughs> yeah, so and I we think, still, yes. Yeah. That's still a huge question. Yeah. Like, okay, it sounds great, but yeah. how much? <laughs> yeah. So basically, if you do, for example, Ontario have OHIP coverage, then there is no payment. Like for prenatal care, birth, and postpartum, it is all paid for publicly. Right. You're not going to have a hospital bill when you leave the hospital for your birth. So, how would you say, how does a hospital birth then differ from a home birth with a midwife? So for us, um, we admit you to hospital, we discharge you to hospital, you're under me, so you'd be Caitlin Murray's patient. We go in, we make the space our own, we shut the door, we dim the lights, it's our own little room, we're basically just using it. If we need to invite more people into the circle of care, then we are very quickly able to do that. But if not, we're just basically borrowing the room and the stuff. So with that, then you would still be the primary care provider. There isn't a nurse necessarily involved or no. No. So unless it's a transfer of care um, for my for my practice, we do transfer care for epidurals, oxytocin, that kind of thing. So unless we need a transfer of care or unless um, birthing person is requesting an epidural or something like that, it's just myself and then my backup midwife when I call her because I need her. We have a listener question from Crystal, and they're wondering, is a home birth more risky after multiple births? One of the risk factors that comes to mind is the risk of postpartum hemorrhage. Um, that risk increases if you're a grand multip or a grand multiparis, so that's five or more births. So we know it's a risk factor for postpartum hemorrhage. It doesn't necessarily rule you out of a home birth. And I'm just talking in general terms. This would be something you'd have to discuss with your care provider. But 
what we would likely recommend is active management of the third stage of labor. So that is getting an injection of oxytocin um, after the birth of the baby to prevent postpartum hemorrhage. Um, we may also recommend having an IV in situ. So having an IV in place, not running any med- medications or anything, but just having it, having IV access in case we needed it if there a postpartum hemorrhage did occur. And then our next question is also about hemorrhage and it's from Emily and they ask, can a midwife address a grade three hemorrhage at home? So that sounds like an American term to me. We don't tend to grade our hemorrhages. We um, talk about it in terms of blood volume lost. So for a home birth, we carry three lines of medication generally. Um, So if I'm moving to the second line of medication and it's unresponsive to that medication, we're going to transport into hospital. Um, So that would be my answer to that is we do have three lines of medication. We do know how to manage a postpartum hemorrhage. But if it's not responsive to therapy, we're not going to sit at home and see how it plays out. We're going to recommend moving into hospital. Caitlin, is there anywhere that you would recommend expecting moms or those prior to becoming pregnant go online to find out more about midwifery care in their area? So for Ontario, we have the Association of Ontario Midwives website. It's excellent. But what I would say is just Google midwifery I'm wherever you are. I'm sure um, if your country has midwives, they're going to have their own websites, I think. I don't know. Maybe I'm <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong in that. But the best thing you can do is just educate yourself on midwifery in your area, what's available to you, what kind of training the midwives have, if they have a governing body, that kind of thing. I don't know if this is the same in Ontario or elsewhere, but here in Alberta and Western Canada, I've had to apply to have midwifery care for my pregnancies. And as far as I know, it just goes into a pool and they see if there's a spot with any of the collectives. Is that the same in Ontario? So in Ontario, because we have uh, way more midwives than most of the provinces, it still can be difficult to get a midwife. So we ask that you call as soon as you know that you're pregnant. So the sooner the better. We don't tend to see people till about eight weeks of pregnancy or so but you need to get on that list because we can only take so many people per month because of the type of in-depth care we provide. So we do have limited numbers. um, And so a lot of months we do tend to have wait lists because people, you know, sometimes don't know that they're pregnant for a little while or went to see their family doctor first and thought they needed to be referred or wanted to think about it. But the best advice I can give is if you're interested in midwifery care, call, get your name on the list with that pra- with a practice in your area, and then meet with the uh, practice. The first visit isn't a clinical visit. It's just basically a meet and greet, an information session to talk about midwifery care, talk about the practice in its specifics, um, answer any questions that you have, and there's no obligation to continue on with the care. So my practice asks that you give us notice within a week to let us know if you want to continue with the care. But there's no pressure. You don't have to decide right away. You can go away and talk about it, have a think about it. And so is there anything else, Caitlin, um, that you'd like to share with our our listeners around either midwifery care or around home birth? I hear a lot. Well, you know, I wanted, I thought about midwifery care, but it's my first baby and I just want to be safe. (laughs) And that one um, bothers me just because what I do is very safe and I couldn't do this job if it wasn't safe. 
Um, I need to be able to sleep at night. So all I would love for people to do is if they're curious about midwifery care, book the appointment and ask questions. I, I just, I hate when people don't educate themselves on what's available. And I'm not saying midwifery is for everybody. It may not be, but the more informed you can be about your options in pregnancy and birth, I think the better, the better outcomes there can be. So thank you so much, Caitlin, for being on today. I was so glad you said yes when I asked if you would <laughs> you would be on the podcast. Um, I think our listeners are going to greatly benefit. And I think uh, once everyone listens to this, it's going to clear up a lot of myths around home birth and also around midwifery care. So thank you very much. Thank, thank you for having me. On the next episode of To Birth and Beyond, we start into part one of our three-part miniseries that focuses on pregnancy topics. In the first episode of the miniseries, we are going to be talking about top five tips every expecting mom needs to know about prenatal exercise. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 